Hey guys, welcome back to Black Girl Manifest Podcast. This is Brittany, and thank you for listening to the first part of the domestic violence episode. This is the second part where I am still chit-chatting with my mother and my sister, talking about the domestic violence we endured from my father and how we have grown from it and how we are trying to grow every day from it and learning. Um, The feedback from this episode has been... um. Very very good, I believe. Uh, a couple people have shared their stories with me, so I really appreciate that. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can always send us an email at Black Girl Manifest Podcast. That's B L K Girl Manifest at Gmail dot com. Um. So let's wrap up the show. Okay, so now he is on his feet, mm-hmm. doing the damn thing, or so he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he thinks. Uh, and so now, you know, mind you, like you said, he's going to school to become a preacher. Um, And everybody is just so happy for him. I remember yeah. grandma was like, you know, your dad is just doing yeah. wonderful things yeah. and yeah. this, this, and this, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, can y'all tell this nigga to stop cussing me out? <laughs> and, stop drinking. and stop drinking. And to stop smoking. Yep. And to stop just doing all stop these worldly... Yes, yeah, stop doing all these worldly things mm-hmm. because he's still the same, the same person to us. And one thing that Daddy could really talk himself out of any kind of situation. He was yeah. very charismatic, uh, but he knew he could lie. Yeah, he could, he could sell you a bridge. Yeah, you know or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then at this point, Scotty, I don't really know what happened with you and Dad, but you had just kind of just stopped messing with him. Period. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because I mean. I don't know. I, I, I really just kind of felt a little awkward and felt some kind of way that he just came and popped up back into our lives like he did. And um, I felt a lot of animosity towards him because of that. So I kind of just distanced myself from him. But... Um, you know, once he did get on his feet and start the seminary and whatever, uh, he did want to have a conversation with me, and he did apologize for everything uh, that he did. And, um, you know, I accepted her, his apology. Excuse me. And, um, you know, from then I thought that, you know, we were cool. We would be okay. And uh, I remember specifically some time after that, I was in school and I had asked him for money for $175 for books. And he just completely lost his mind about me asking him for help. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, you know, um, 
And I think Bernie didn't he say that he thought that I was giving my money to my ex-boyfriend yeah. or something like that, which I wasn't. I was literally a broke college student. I remember so. him saying that. Now, this is 2000-whatever, and he went to school in 19-whatever. When I was in school, the books didn't cost that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, first of all, you went to school for six seconds. <laughs> Really? <laughs> One book literally cost a hundred and seventy. And I think that he was up in arms because that one book was $175. And it really wasn't far-fetched because I think at the same time I had just kind of finished going to Southwest and I was like, ooh, this expensive chat. I don't know if I can keep this up with two kids. All right. And I was, you know, books were I went to the library one day, I was like, whew, this ain't for me. I can't do this. Yeah. But it wasn't $175 for a book was not far-fetched at all. He even called me. He was like, Scotty's giving money to her boyfriend and this, this, and da-da-da, and blah, blah, and blah. And I really wasn't working, like, full-time either. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't working, you know, a lot, and I wasn't making that much money. So, you know, that's why I had asked him because, you know, I was living with mom and, you know mom had helped me out a lot so I kind of just wanted to give her a break and see if he could help me and ever since then ever since I asked him for that money just you know things just completely went downhill with our relationship yeah uh we would get into extremely bad arguments just he would threaten I, I used his information for my FAFSA uh because he made less money than my mom did. We all knew that if we use Kim Collins on the FAFSA, <laughs> you might as well just get go no ahead. <laughs> nothing, child. You won't Nothing. You might as well homeschool this stuff for college. Right. You won't get Yeah. So I used his information. And all the time he was alive and that I was in school, every time we got into an argument, he would hold it over my head saying that, oh, well, I'm going to call the school and tell them that you're not living with me and that and all and this and that. And I was just like, okay, you know, do what you got to do, whatever, I don't care. So that, you know, became a really big source of anxiety for me because I wasn't sure if he was actually going to do that and sabotage my chances of, you know, being in school. But, you know, look at me, I graduated. So, you know, he's, he, he, you know, really messed me up with that. But, you know, despite all of that, you know, I, I was able to do what I had to do yep. and, you know, I made it. But, you know, ever since then, we had just had a really tumultuous relationship. And uh, I remember the week that I found out that he had passed, uh, we had gotten into an argument and uh, I told him, I said, you know, I just want you out of my life, you know, just leave me alone, I don't want anything to do with you, I hate you, 
and just a bunch of bad things because he had so some things to be. And that was the last thing that I had said to him before I found out that he passed. So do I feel guilty for that? I mean, I, I did at first, but now I don't because um, I wasn't the only party in the in the argument. You know, I mean, he had done a lot of things to make me react that way. So I just, you know, I, I know it's not my fault that he had passed, but sometimes I wish that we had, um, you know, been on better terms yeah. before he had passed. But, yeah, just... I mean, literally, asking for a $175 for a book, and that pretty much ended our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Coming from the fact that the whole time um, I had you guys and we were separated, and I was literally a single parent, um, never paid child support. And so, you know, you never contributed at all to them being raised. And then she asked you for $175 and you go off the deep end. Like she's asked you for $1.7 million. That's just, uh, yeah. just how crazy thinking he was. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Scotty was, you know, pretty much hands off. And if Scotty says she done with you, she's really done oh, with you. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you were kind of like, you know, well, not kind of like you were like, well, y'all grown. I ain't got to interact with him at all. I don't. So it was kind of me just kind of stuck in the middle. Well, not really even stuck in the middle, but I was also well, struggling. Well, you did, like, you, out of both of us, you did more for him than yeah. we, like, had ever did. You were the one transporting, transporting him from here to Alamo's where he can go teach. And, you know, you were basically... His yeah. lifeline until, you know, because me and mom weren't going to. I wanted to win it. I was yeah. done. One thing we that both I remember the conversation that made me done um, when I was living in Westwood. We argued about something and me and Carl were just, you know, starting to date or whatever. Um and we were living together, and I don't remember why we were me and Dad were arguing, but he told me, "No, no man is ever gonna love you, and no man is ever gonna care about you um, because you got two kids, and don't nobody want to be uh, boggled down." And he really said that. He, yeah, he's like, "Don't nobody want to be bothered with you because you had two kids. Don't nobody want the milk when they can get the calf for free." Well, wow. That's not true. So, and I was just like, "Wow, this is really my dad." That's my dad saying, saying that these type me. of things to me. Um. So, I don't want to be bothered with you no more. But yet and still, like, I have two kids. I'm a single mother, technically a single mother, because these are not my boyfriend's kids. Um, <laughs> their dad is not helping me. But here you are, calling me and asking me to 
take you here and there. You want to give me five, $10 for gas or whatever. By that time, I was just completely done with this situation because I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to keep letting you talk to me any kind of way just for the sake of saying you're my parents. That's not fair to me. And a lot of the way I raise my children now is that has a lot to do with that. I don't want to raise them to think that, oh, my mom is going to kill me if she finds this out. I want them to say, my mom is going to kill me if she doesn't, if I don't tell her what's going on or if I can't come to my mom and say anything to my mom, then who else can I come to? Like, right. mom was already dealing with, you know, she had been helping us for forever. And it's like, you're in the same city and you still can't do shit for us. You still can't, you like, <laughs> you can't do anything. I'll never forget one time, like, he would always love to say, uh, call me if you need anything, or this and this. And we knew that we couldn't call if we <laughs> needed anything. But this one time, I really did need something, and I didn't want to bother mom. Like, I had him um, watching the kids, get the kids from school. I'll pick them up when I got off work. And it was, like, maybe... 35 to an hour's time difference. And when I picked them up, I had gas, but I wanted to make sure I had gas for the next day and I hadn't got paid yet. I was like, hey, dad, can you just give me $10 so I can, you know, make it to work tomorrow or whatever? And I got my two kids in the car. You don't know what my gas tank looked like. Oh, no, baby, I ain't I ain't got it. I ain't got it. Listen, but listen. <laughs> but, then, but then he gets in his car. And I follow behind him and I'm not following behind him on purpose. I'm following behind him because I have to go the same way he's going. And guess where he ends up with his $10 at the liquor store. Right. And I was just like, wow. Like, well, okay. he was an alcoholic. So that took priority over everything yeah. else. And yeah. And I just, I was like, wow, I can't, I really cannot ask you for anything. And that's where our relationship ended and then I ended up moving to Millington with mom and he called me like well I'm I'm thankful that Scotty you got an apology because I never got an apology um he would always tell me I never did those things to your mom and so he would be a super gaslighter and say that he didn't do stuff and he did when I was actually thinking that I was absolutely going insane and I was not I, I really thought that I was going crazy because you didn't you because remembered I didn't it, but, yeah. I remembered it but the way my mind works, if it's super traumatic, I block it out. So a lot of times when you and Scott are saying, like, do you remember this? Do you remember that? I'm like, no, nah, I really, I seriously don't. Right. Um, and that's just how I work through my trauma. But he called. Um, it was Christmas time because Maya had just had her birthday. And he called me and I didn't answer because I was at work. And he left a voicemail. He was going off on the voicemail like, no, he uh he called and said, you know, hey, I got something for the kids for Christmas and Maya, Maya uh, a birthday gift, and now you know I want you to come and get it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll I'll call him back tomorrow, or whatever. Or I I called him back or something. I said I I would come and get it. And then the next day I had gotten off work and it was late, and I was like, mm, I'm not going to get it. And then the following day he called me and left me a nasty nasty voicemail well since you didn't come get this and do what you say you was gonna do uh the ball's in your court i'm your daddy uh you i'm gonna ask you for nothing you you when i'm gone and i'm dead you gonna feel a uh you 
you feel a type of way about it and you wish I was back. He he said a whole lot of stuff. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, okay. Like I'm just not, I'm not going to call you back because I don't feel like dealing with it. And then literally a couple of days later, we had found out that he passed. And I really struggled with that for a long time because I felt super guilty. Like I could have, could I have possibly fixed a relationship with my daddy? I don't know. But, but, you but, but you couldn't keep him from dying. But I could not. And yes, and you've you've said that to me numerous of times. I could yeah, not have kept him from dying. Yeah. But I just feel like maybe I could have possibly said, you know what, Dad? Like I'm tired of dealing with this. Or, but then as my as a child, even though I'm grown, that's still not my responsibility. Yeah. Because I didn't do anything to you. Right. Well, when he had apologized to me, we had met up at McDonald's, and I mean, when when he had apologized, it wasn't anything. He didn't apologize for anything that he did to mom or to you or anything like that. It was just between him and me and him saying that, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, I haven't been there and things like that so I mean I don't think that if he was still alive today I don't think he still would have admitted it because I, I, I really have come to believe that he was a narcissist mm. and you know he always believed that he was right or Whatever he did, somebody he, owed him something. Somebody owed him something, or whatever he did, he had a good reason to do it, you know, even though he didn't. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. I mean, he he had never really just taken the blame for anything that he had done when it came to my mom. Yeah, <clears throat> and I don't know if he had felt guilty about it ever, or if he just decided to ignore it, or I don't know. But he never, he he was never able to admit it. Never. No, yeah. not and not to you guys. It would be sometimes a half-hearted. You know, I'm sorry. One time he asked me to meet him somewhere. Because he wanted to talk to me and say he was sorry. And I said, no, I'm, I'm good. You don't have to meet me anywhere to tell me that you're sorry. Because by this time, I didn't trust your dad for anything. And I kind of told my mom about that. And she was like, I'm so glad you didn't go. Because, um, you know, she said I had a premonition that, you know, he was going to do something to you. Um, and I said, oh, really? And I never thought that. But, you know. She had thought that. So I, I guess that was God, God's divine protection. Because when he asked me to meet him, I said, no, nah, man, I'm good. You don't have to meet me to apologize. I'll accept your apology. And, you know, we don't have to ever talk again. You yeah. know, I, I, I would kind of hope that we would, because regardless of the fact, you know, we got legacy. You know, we got two grandchildren, now three, you know, kid, uh, Scotty and whatever to have kids. You know, that's still his grandchildren. Yeah. There's a legacy we have together that we share. Um, but we didn't have to be we didn't have to be friends. Yeah. 
Okay, so we're going to wrap this up because it's <laughs> been an hour and a wow. half, really. Okay. So another question I have is, this experience that you went through, through domestic violence, what are you most proud of as you have transformed out of it? Um, I guess I'm most proud of that I'm still here. Mm. Even through all the pain, the abuse, and all of that, in my Miss Sealy voice, I'm still here, <laughs> uh, Mister. <laughs> uh, I'm still here, um, and I'm still standing. And um, I'm, um, I, I realize now that I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I'm stronger and more resilient. I'm strong and I'm resilient. Mm -hmm. um, I did not necessarily believe that I was strong um, early on. Um, Domestic violence make you feel like you're really weak and less than. Mm -hmm. um, but in actuality, if you can get through it and get to the other strong other side, you're much stronger than you realize that you were. Um, and a lot of my fight to get through the other side had nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. My fight to get through the other side is to make sure you and Scotty Marie and you and your sister was okay, and that I wouldn't um, pass that type of legacy down to you guys. Mm -hmm. But in the same token, I was benefiting as far as um, my character and my, my strength was benefiting the f um, from the fight that I was trying to keep you guys from. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think my, my, my biggest, uh, the proudest thing is that I'm still here. I'm still here. It's funny uh, that you say that because um, I thought, I, I remember one instance where I thought that you were going to die. Wow. I really do. I I remember that, and I just remember being like maybe nine or ten, and I was like, "There's what can I do?" And I remember the situation where you know you were outside, and you you were both outside, and he was kind of well, not kind of, he was beating you up in the car, and it just I was looking down from the window, and I was like, "He is about to kill my mama. What can I do?" Wow. And I went downstairs and, you know, tried to get him off of you. And I got in trouble for that because, of course, I'm mm. a kid in right. adult business. Right. I'm trying to make sure my mom was okay. So right. I I definitely remember, like, I'm going to have to be stuck with this person. And I don't want to be with him like that. I don't, I don't want to... If my mama died, then what the hell am I going to do? Like, who can right. I be with? Because right. it's only going to get worse. Right. So I, re I remember thinking that, and I'm so glad that you are still here. You're still standing. You're still strong like Antoine Fisher. You're still here. You're still standing. You're still strong. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that at a nine-year-old and, you know, three-year-olds and two-year-olds that you had to see that. I'm sorry, you know, that that was your experience. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. You don't have to apologize. It wasn't your fault. Yeah, but, you know, I still wish that you hadn't gone through it. Yeah. That you, each of you guys hadn't gone through it. Because yeah. it definitely has an imprint in your life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's my prayer that um, you guys can get past it, you know, and, and, be on the other side of it to the point that you can help somebody else yeah. and don't let it fuel insecurities in your own life. Right. Yeah. 
Scotty, okay, we're back. Scotty, do you have a message for uh, any children who are going through, who who are witnessing their parents going through domestic violence, whether it be, you know, father is going through domestic violence or mother is going through domestic violence? Do you have any message for the children? Well, um, it's not your fault. Um, you didn't do anything to warrant the abuse at all. Uh, the propensity, propensity and the, uh, the abuse was already there before you came. So, um, it's not your fault. So there's no, uh, reason to feel guilty even though that might be hard you know not to feel guilty but just to remember that it's not your fault and um you know your parents they still do love you in spite of what they're going through themselves and, so, and they're the adult yeah so they're responsible yeah, yeah. They're responsible. I, I have the same message. Like for a long time, I thought it was like, I don't know why I thought that I was the cause of it. But as a child, you don't really know any better. Yeah. So you think like, is there something I'm doing? So I remember a lot of times that I would get in trouble and then it would turn around and then you would, you and dad would be arguing about. Probably because I was jumping on him about jumping <laughs> on you. Yeah. Some, Cause some of the things were so simple. So very simple. Okay, so now wait a minute. Hold up, I'm not trying to be funny. But you guys remember the time that me and him had the biggest argument because I wouldn't share my popcorn with Scotty. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Do you remember this, Scotty? No. So, Mama popped some popcorn, and if you know my mama, you know my mama loves popcorn. And I don't like to share my food. If we're at a restaurant somewhere and there's something you want to eat off my plate, I will not let you have it off my plate. I will buy you. I will buy it for you. But that's my plate. And so, yeah. So I love popcorn and I don't like to share food. And so Scotty asked for some popcorn and you said no, right? I said, no, I'll pop you your own. Yeah. So now she gets a whole bag of popcorn to herself, and he gets mad at you because you wouldn't share. He before I even share. I, before I even gave her or popped her the pop popcorn, we had to go through the struggle and the fight because I wouldn't share. That's that before I even had the chance to even pop it, I had to hear all the, you know, the 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 craziness about you won't share your popcorn with her, and and maybe. You know, maybe he was right. Sure. You know, maybe it was. But why we got to argue about it? You know what I'm saying? Why it has to be that situation? And if I'm saying I'm going to get you your own bag, you know. Right. Like, I don't even think Scotty likes popcorn, even to this day. Do you like (laughs) See, all that, and that girl don't even like popcorn. After that, she said, you know what? What? Forget it. I don't even like it. (laughs) I don't even like it. Yeah, that's, ugh insane okay so now we have talked about you know what um victims can do to get help and we'll put the number the hotline number in the description for anybody who needs help but my last question is what is your 
message to people who are the abusers? Um, for, an, for an abuser, I would say that something has happened to you um, and happened to you that make you feel as if you can, you don't have enough self-control that you can't, that you feel like you have to then um, um, manifest that as external control and, and, and hurt somebody else. Right. So somewhere in you, you can't control whatever it is, whether it's your emotions, whether it's your anger about something, whether it's a childhood trauma that you got on, got going on personally. There's something that is broken. And whether you abuse one person or 15 people um, in your life, if you don't fix that brokenness, it's going to be, it's always going to be there. Right. So, um, you need to address what it is because it's not everybody's fault. Just because you can't make it in life or you got hard times in life, it's not somebody else's fault. Take ownership and understanding you got a role and responsibility to play in while you jumping on people. Yeah, You got a responsibility for that, you know, um, and then that's not self-love. Do you love yourself? Because yeah. once you learn to love yourself, you ain't going to try to hurt nobody else. And you you can't call and define love with hurting somebody. That's not it. And so what are you missing? And what's broken in your own self? F- figure out where that gap is. Figure out where that hole is. And, and try to see if you can seek some help. Because it's not, you know, that's just not the way to live your life and then impact someone else's, you know. And especially if kids are involved, that's just not. It's just not the way to do it. So yeah. I would I would say for them to seek help as well. Yeah. But first, be aware enough to know I got issues, you know, because you yeah. got people going around doing things and they're not even aware or don't even want to take responsibility for their own selves. Yeah. And isn't that why that some people don't even know that they are doing like consciously doing that, you know, hurting people? Yeah. Maybe they're aware, but don't want to be responsible, you know, for whatever the situation is. But take ownership of what you do, bro. Yep. And sis. Yep. Because uh, um, there is a, a law of karma where you will reap what you sow. Yeah. Karma don't miss. It don't. And yeah. she got, and she patient. Yeah. She it very her a while, but she she's she coming. She's yeah. coming. Well, I thank you both for being guest on our podcast yeah. on our podcast yeah absolutely it was uh it was fun it was, good it was fun i'm hoping this message helps somebody out um so you're able to you know like you say you're only as sick as your secrets but you're also a what ma but good things oh yeah you also uh you also deserve every good thing that comes to you because you are a good things magnet. So yes. believe that good things come to you, that this situation will pass and that you will uh, be, pro- again, like I said, be prosperous, but you deserve everything. Every good thing come to you. So think about um, what you deserve as far as good things are concerned because you are a good things magnet. Yes, yes you are. 
All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Black Girl Manifest Podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.